And the Lord began this, this process, and the phrase that I'll use is this, and it's the phrase that they use, and we've kind of adopted it as this real reset sort of process and refocus and reshaping what we focus on and what we're giving ourselves to. And it's been this extraordinary process these last few months, and, and it's brought me to this place where the Lord has really given me this message that it's, I've been preaching it everywhere we, we've been going recently. But most importantly, I've been preaching it to myself and trying to live this thing out. And it's this call to really give ourselves to the one thing. Come on. I mean, you know, we live in this multifaceted, and, you know, extremely distracted, a million hobbies, 20 things going on at the same time, culture and generation. I, I, I'm sure if I took a general census, now this is going to be a little, not the nicest statement, but it's an honest statement. I bet if I took a general census, not everybody, not everyone here, but if I took a general census, I bet most of us here, uh, my iPad's that, so I've got to use my phone for my notes. Most of us here probably spend more time watching television than we do reading the Bible. Right? More time on our cell phone, which I'm not on my phone. I'm just trying to make sure it doesn't block up on me so I can use my notes. More time doing whatever. We're, all, we're so distracted. And I'm telling you, the, the number one ploy of the enemy today, more than anything else, yep. is distraction and too busy. Number one ploy. The number one excuse that I hear from people as to why they don't have a thriving life in God, as to why they're not going deep, yeah. as to why they're not developing their walk with the Lord, is because they're either too busy or they're too distracted. There's, and there's always an excuse. Well, I got this going on. I got to work this many hours. And I, 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 and, and I, heard, I heard a guy say that one time. He says, if, if you're too People say, I'm too busy to pray or I'm too busy to read the Bible. The fact is, we're too busy not to pray. We're too busy not to read the Bible. We're too busy to not be doing these things. And I've been feeling this, this pulling of the Lord. And for me, it's different. I don't, I haven't had television in five years. I don't, I don't really watch TV. Or, I've actually found that I've been so busy ministering for the Lord that I have forgotten to minister to the Amen. Lord. Amen, yeah. So it doesn't matter what you're busy with, whether you're busy for, in Jesus' name or you're busy because you're just lazy. It doesn't matter what you're busy in or what you're distracted with. There is a, a, a trumpet of the Lord that I believe is going out globally right now where God is trying to wake us up from, from being lullabied by distraction, being lullabied by entertainment, being lullabied by whatever is taking our focus away from the Lord. And he's calling us back to the one thing. I'm going to get into and give a little bit of language as to what I mean by that. But here's, here's what I want to say this morning. At the end of the day, nothing else in your life, not even your family, is more important than your ministry to the Lord. We'll talk about what that means here in a second. But I, I want to say, and just in case you fall asleep after the message, I want you to hear this. Right now, this is absolutely imperative. Nothing is more important, nothing is more valuable, nothing has more worth than spending time with Jesus. 
Now, I'm gonna, we're going to get into this here in a second. In fact, I'll even tell you this. Having a prayer life has more value to the Lord than evangelism. You guys hear me this morning? Yeah, come on. More, listen, being consistent to read your Bible has more weight before the Lord than healing the sick and casting out demons. And I love it. I love evangelism. I love healing the sick. I, love, I really particularly love casting demons out of people. But it really, it, it, when you stand before the Lord in the day of judgment, He's not going to ask you how many demons you casted out. He's not going to ask you how many people you saved. He's not going to say, well, let's find out how many sick people you healed. We had 30 blind eyes. We had, you know, five legs. He's not, Jesus is not going to worry about your public ministry or how much money you had in the bank, or how much success. He's definitely, if anything, he's going to tell you you watch too much television, but he's not going to worry about any of the stuff that we spend most of our time worried about. Yeah. Do you hear what I'm saying? Absolutely. He is going to, what he's going, just, just, just newsflash, just put a pause, just, because sometimes this is radical for people. Do you know that unbelievers are not the only ones that get judged by the right. Lord at the end of the, at the, end right. of the age? You guys know that yep. Jesus is a judge. You will stand before the Lord at the end of the age, and He will judge your life, and He's going to say whether you were faithful with what He gave you or unfaithful. Now, that's not heaven or hell judgment. That's what sort of life or what measure of life you get to live in the next age. Now, maybe that sounds crazy for some of you, but that's going to happen. He's going to, Jesus is going to look at believers, and He's going to say, well... I gave you 24 hours in a day, and I gave you 70 years. Here's what you did with it. Imagine the, the day will come where the Lord's going to say, here's the amount of time I gave you. This is how much time you spent watching TV, and this is how much time you, this is how much time you spent praying. Literally, that will happen. This is how much time you spent with your hobbies, this is how much time he spent in the Bible. This is how much time he spent thinking about whatever. This is how much time he spent praying. And because of that, this is the measure of leadership I'll be able to trust you with in the millennial reign. Hmm. Just think about that day when you have to actually give an account. Again, this isn't the heaven or hell judgment. This is a what sort of responsibility is the Lord going to be able to trust you with in the next age? And it's completely based upon how you steward your time and your money now in this age. 100% of it. And it's bigger than that you showed up on Sunday. God's really looking at who you are Monday through Saturday. And so, you know, we, you know we're actually, the Lord's going to speak to you. Can you imagine that day standing before the Lord and he says, you... Like a, I mean, I mean, just imagine for some of us, this is going to be terrifying. The Lord lays, I don't know how it's going to happen, this is my brain. He lays on a map or a graph and he's like, all right, here's your life. Look at the line for television. Look at the line for prayer. Look at the line for money. Look at all the thought life you gave on money. And look at all the thought life you gave on eternity or whatever. And he lays everything out. And then he goes, I, I can only trust you with this much. I wanted to make you ruler over 20 cities. I wanted to give you nations to rule over, but I can't trust you. You weren't a good steward. I'll give you five cities. Could you imagine that day? 
And I'm telling you, and we've been talking about this, and I've just been encouraged by this, by, by a leader in my life. Guys, I'm telling you, the 70 or 60 or 50 or 80 or 90 years that you live on the earth is like the blip of the beginning. This isn't it. This is nothing. You're, this is nothing. Your bank account, it's a blip in a flash. It's all gone, and none of it matters. Come on. Do you hear me? In a, in, in a moment, it won't matter what car you drove. In a moment, it won't matter what, what house you lived in. In a moment, it won't matter how many vacations you went on. It literally won't matter. It won't even come into consideration. Jesus is not going to ask you about your house or your car or your vacation. He's going to ask you about your prayer life. That's what he's going to ask you about. He talks about prayer more in the Gospels than he talks about in Angelus. And what's amazing, you go to Matthew chapter 7, the people that Jesus does send to hell are the people that had incredible ministries. They casted out demons. They were accurate prophets. They healed multitudes, but they had no personal relationship with them. Right. And he calls them, I mean, just think about this. Most of the stuff that we make a big deal about, Jesus doesn't make a big deal about. It blows my mind, but that's not what I'm talking about. Let's keep going. What kind of is that kind of is? But I, I really want you to, I actually want you to be shaken by this this morning. Being shaken is not a bad thing, it's a good thing. True. Could you imagine being one of the churches that received one of the letters from Jesus? And the, I would have been shaken. When the Lord comes and he says, I hate your works. Or I know your works. Or the Lord says, I'm going to vomit. Imagine receiving the prophetic word from Jesus. You know, well, Jesus only says nice things. Jesus, in the New Testament, goes to a church and says, I'm going to vomit your children out of my mouth. Because you tolerate, you know, you tolerate sin. I don't, could you imagine? Like, that would shake me. And he would say, good, be shaken, because I don't want to do that. But it's what's going to happen if you keep tolerating things that I don't want you to tolerate. And I, I wasn't going to talk about television, but I really feel this from the Lord. I always pray one in the morning, God, give me, a, give me a prophetic word. I literally feel like this is a prophetic word from some of you. The Lord is giving you an opportunity to start 2020 different. He's saying, don't waste your time on television. I'm not saying don't ever watch it. I'm saying don't let it dominate your life. Don't let your phone, don't let social media, don't let movies, don't let things, don't let food, whatever it is. Don't let these things dominate your life. Come on. Amen? Amen. Let's go to Revelation chapter 1. I'm going to reteach Zeke's teaching correctly. Just kidding. Isn't that amazing? Isn't Zeke amazing? Amazing. Amazing. Didn't you do a great job? Gotta get back up here. Part 2. I didn't even hear the message yet, and I can quote you everything he said. Just like he could not hear my message and quote to you everything I said. Probably better than I can quote him and quote me. Because it's all written out. I think you've probably heard every single thing I've ever taught. And it's written out in your laptop. Anyways, he's a good guy. Revelation chapter 1. Where is that? Revelation, the most important book in the whole Bible. Is the last book, right? Because the Lord always saves the best for last. Because the last shall be first. Be the first one. I'm sure Zeke said this. 
but because we live in 2019, we have the attention span of gnats. I will repeat this. Do you know that the only book in the entire Bible, 66 books, only one is titled, the, not A, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Only one book in the whole Bible. There's literally no, I can go through the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, 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 the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Mark, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Luke, O Theophilus, John, in the beginning. And then you go, you, you, know, you keep going down, and then you get to the book of Revelation, and it's the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave them. It's if you want the most definitive and full and holistic revelation of who the man Jesus is, you have to read the book of Revelation. Yes. Amen. And it's the only book that you get three blessings for reading it out loud. Can you imagine? Who would like to be blessed three ways today? Raise your hand. Some of you are lying. Raise your hand. I want to get blessed three ways of raising both my hands. If you want three blessings, you read, you get blessed if you read it, if you hear it, and you keep it. Literally, just open up the book and read the whole book out loud, and you have a guaranteed three blessings of the Lord. Amen. So if you're lacking a blessing, read the book of Revelation. All right, Revelation chapter 1. Here's what I want to get into this morning. This is my one slide. <laughs> I'm not as, I'm not as uh, slide committed. Dave does such an amazing... I always get so excited to hear him teach. There's my slide. It's a Roman aqueduct. It has nothing to do with what I'm talking about, but it's a fantastic picture. <laughs> and, uh, and there's the title of the message. Only one thing is needed. Water. Water, yeah. How do you get water in the desert? You gotta live thirsty. The problem with most of us is we're in, we are thirsty. So now, I really want to get to this. And so what I want to talk about a little bit this morning is your identity. Because I know it's a big thing. It's who we are. And who what our identity is. And I really want to highlight two identities that are absolutely essential. And I'll talk about the second one a little bit more. In a minute, but I'm going to mention it. You know, I love the identity of being a son. Amen? Amen. But do you know that that's not, there's one identity even greater than that? There's an actual identity that's far greater than sonship or daughtership or whatever you want. It's called being a bride. No. Do you know that, the, and we're going to look at this in a second, the song of all songs, the song of Solomon, that he calls the song of all songs. In other words, this is the greatest song. Or this song encapsulates more than any other song the greatest revelation of relationship between man and God. And it's not a song about a father and a son. It's about a song. It's a song about a bridegroom and a bride. The greatest revelation that we will ever walk in is that God is going to marry himself to humanity like a man marries a woman. I want you to think about this this morning. You are the, it's one thing to love a child. It's another thing when out of everybody in the universe, you pick one person to become one flesh with forever. Just think about that. The Lord is saying, Lydia, I have picked you out of all of the angels. Out of every being that exists, out of all of creation, I have chosen humanity to join myself to them forever. Maybe you've never heard this before. Jesus is madly in love with you the same way a husband is madly in love with a wife. Come on. 
that blows my mind. But the other thing that I want to touch on right now, more specifically, is your identity as a priest. And I believe this is one of the most important topics out of anything we can talk about in the Bible, is our call and our identity to be a priest before the Lord. Now let me say this, we're going to look at Revelation 1. For eternity, you're not going to be an evangelist. For eternity, you will not be healing the sick. For eternity, you're not going to be casting out demons. You're not going to be preaching to multitudes. We're not going to be building our ministries. But for eternity, we will be priests before the Lord. Priesthood is absolutely essential to our eternal identity. It doesn't matter if you're a pastor of a megachurch or you work at Wawa. It doesn't matter. You are a priest before the Lord. And we'll talk about what that means. Go to Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. I probably can't, can't go more than two messages without quoting Revelation 1, 5 and 6. It's, it's phenomenal. It's like the plumb line for everything. Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. And it says, um, it's so marked up, I can't even find it. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, is it to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Let's put a pause there. 90% of the time, when we talk about the blood, what we mostly talk about is that the blood cleans us of sin. Amen? Amen. But that's not the only thing the blood does. That's where we leave it. Well, I'm cleansed. The blood covers. The blood doesn't just cover. The blood, according to Hebrews chapter 10, does something even more amazing. than just, for, you know, bigger than not going to hell. The blood actually opens up the door and gives you access into the throne room. Amen. Forever. Forever. But think about this. Right now, if you're a born-again believer, you have full access to the throne of God. Amen. Full access. Not only that, and I can show you this in Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 2, you have the same access, the same level of influence over the Father that Jesus does. I want you to think about this. It, you, you could have been saying for 30 years or for 30 seconds, the moment you were born again, you were given immediate access to the very throne room of God. That means you are right now as alive before God as you are in this room right now. Amen. Just ponder that for a second. Just consider that right now. You're literally standing on the sea of glass before the throne of glory. You're literally standing in front of a throne that's like a jasper and sardius stone in appearance with an emerald rainbow of four living creatures and voices sounding like many waters and multitudes of angels. You're literally there right now. Hallelujah. Why would you want to waste your time binging on Netflix? Amen. Why would you want to waste your time on whatever it is you're doing when you literally have an open invitation from the Lord to discover the depths of glory and beauty that He, Jesus, has paid the price for you to have access to. Just imagine that right now. What we have access to. So this is what he's talking about. The boy opens up the door, and here's the reason why. And look at this. He says, from, I already read that part. Verse 6, and has made us, uh, if you read, depending on your translation, it'll say kings and priests. Uh, it's actually a bad translation. It should say, and has made us a kingdom of priests. 
right? A kingdom of priests who is God and Father to be glory in the minute forever and ever. Amen. So let's look at this. All that to say this. That one of the things, one of the chief things that Jesus came to establish on the earth was a priesthood. Someone say priesthood. Priesthood. That's just, I don't know how to do that, but some of you are following this thing. Help me wake up. Priesthood. Say a priesthood. So you are a part of a priesthood. You're not just a believer. You're not just a little Christian. You don't just go to church on Sunday. You are a part of a priesthood. And here's what, Jesus, and here's what John says. It isn't just a priesthood. It's a kingdom of priests. In other words, God established through Jesus on the earth a governing body, a government. And this government has authority over principalities and powers. It has authority over sickness. It has authority over disease. It has authority over darkness. It has authority over wickedness, over perversion, over every realm of authority and influence on the whole universe. This government has authority over everything. Now, who wants to walk in authority? Come on. Five people. Who wants to walk in authority over sickness and disease? Well, here's what he says. It's not. You don't just walk in authority because it's established. No. He says it isn't just a kingdom. It's a kingdom of priests. And here's what he's saying. I have established a governing body that has authority over sickness, disease, darkness, whatever, name it. And the way that they're going to rule is through the priestly ministry. I'll say it like this. Who would like authority to cast out demons? Who would like authority to lay hands on sick people and see them healed? Come on. Who wants to have authority to pray? I would love to see a dead body here. Is anybody here? Amen. Could you imagine that? I know people that have raised 500 people from the dead. Praise the Lord. 500, could you imagine having a ministry where they bring you dead bodies? A dear spiritual father, heart of David, was in Indonesia preaching for years in Indonesia. At the time, it was. 99% Muslim. He was there in the 70s. And uh, nobody, uh, since Sam Rasmus, we probably should have this. You guys he would preach for years and nobody would listen. No, in the whole town, no one listened. One woman got, got saved in the whole Muslim town. And it was horrible, horrible. They treated his family horrible. It's the 70s in Indonesia. I mean, you can't even imagine what that's like. One lady gets converted after like five years. One lady. Could you imagine staying faithful for five years? One person gets converted. And he's praying and praying. And all of a sudden, the lady dies. The one Christian lady dies. And so the Muslims, you know, they're like, well, we don't know how to bury a Christian. So they bring, the, the whole village brings her body to sand. And they dump the body. And they go, what do we do with the, with the dead Christian? And in front of, now here's the crazy part. He didn't know how to speak Indonesia. This is the 70s. There was no missionary school. There was no training. You know how he learned the language? The Lord said, go. He took his entire family, got off the plane, and said, Lord, give me Indonesia. And the Lord gave it to him right then and there. He can speak it to this day. True story. We talk, talk to you full in Indonesia. Never took a class. And so they take the dead woman. They throw the body. And they say, what do we do? She's a dead Christian. We only know how to bury Muslims. How do you bury? What do you do with the dead Christian woman? And he says, well, I know what to do. And in their language, in front of the entire village, in the name of Jesus, come back. And the woman resurrected from the dead in front of the entire village. And the whole town gave their lives to the Lord. Well, yeah. The whole town. You don't need to preach a sermon. He literally looked at him and said, all right, who wants the Lord? The whole town got saved. Five years of just plowing one dead person. I mean, guys, I'm telling you, it's a lot easier if we could do that kind of stuff, wouldn't it? 
And aren't you tired of going to conferences and hearing people talk about it Amen. that only get out of 20 people and see one person kind of get healed? Anyone else going to turn to that? Yeah. I want to grow in authority. I, I don't want just authority to pray over headaches. I want to raise dead people from the dead. Hallelujah. Yeah. How do you do that stuff? You don't, you don't get it at a conference. Hmm. You, do it. You, don't, you don't get it because I believe the answer to you. No. This is what he's saying. It's a kingdom of priests. He says, if you yeah. want to walk in my governmental authority, Amen. then you first have to walk in the intimacy of the priesthood. Right. Amen. Say it like this. The, more, the deeper... That you go in intimacy with the Lord is the greater that you will go in authority. Amen. Let me say that again. I want you to really get this. The deeper that you go in intimacy, that means very simple. The deeper you go in prayer, the deeper you go in the Bible, the deeper you go in fasting, the deeper you go in beholding the beauty of the Lord and sitting before Him, it's the greater you will walk in authority. It's just doing words. He says, listen, I have established a kingdom of priests, and your chief identity or the ch your chief ministry is to be a priest. And if you do that ministry first, you'll walk in favor and authority in every other ministry. I am convinced the reason we're not seeing breakthrough in signs and wonders is because we're not getting breakthrough in the private one. Come on. Do you hear what I'm saying? Yeah. We, before we get breakthrough and praying for the sick, we need breakthrough in having a daily prayer life. Before you can get breakthrough in preaching, you need breakthrough in reading your Bible every day. Come on. Before you can get breakthrough in touching nations, you need breakthrough in fasting and prayer. Amen. Now, let me say something. I'm only saying this because this is my own church. But I'm telling you this as a, as a leader. I get people all the time, oh, you travel and, and you have a ministry. And you know, I tell them. I don't normally tell them, but I think this. And I tell some people, you, you weren't there when I was 19 years old. You weren't there when I was 20 and 21 at my church. When no one else was fasting, me and three other guys, we would give ourselves radically, almost foolishly to fasting and prayer. I went, every month we were going fast. Now, I'm not telling you this to boast. I'm telling you. God didn't look at me and say, here's a little bit of favor dust. I'll go, no, 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 no. Years of private life before the Lord. Years of being made fun of by our friends and oh, you're wasting your life away and you can be doing much more. We would, my friend Josh, he was 30 and I was 20, 19 years old. Every Friday night he would put his little baby in bed and that one kid named Benjamin. He'd put him to bed and every Friday night we'd pick up everything we had, we'd go to the church and from midnight to two in the morning we gave ourselves to pray and we would pray faithfully. I re we, we would have our own calls. We'd do 12 hour prayer meetings, two of us in a room. And we would give ourselves 21-day fast, 14-day fast, 30-day fast. And we would fast. And we gave ourselves radically. And I'm telling you, I know without a shadow of a doubt, anything that we do today is because the Lord is honoring a, a thriving private life. And I feel again this invitation from the Lord, go deep again. Start canceling things again. Start doing Friday night prayer meetings again. Start giving yourself to fasting and prayer. Start giving yourself to the Bible. Friends, I'm telling you, there is something to be said about a deep private life before the Lord that will catapult you to walk in a public authority you can't buy and you can't earn. Come on. Now, what is the purpose of the priesthood? I'm glad you asked. Go to Exodus 28. <coughs> Thank <laughs> you. 
And let me tell you, one of the biggest dangers that we have today, this is like my little, this is my little opinion, is, is the YouTube podcast and everything. We are so inundated with messages, it's so Come easy on. to now sound and have sound bites that sound like you have it, but you don't. Come on. Right, people, they quote things to me all the time. It doesn't impress me. Go, for it. go do it. Uh, then that'll, that'll, that'll really, go do the thing, and then we'll find out if you really got it. Yeah. Amen. And let me tell you, you know how you get it? You got to go deep by yourself in your bedroom in God when no one's watching. Come on. And I'm going to be honest, most of the time it's dry and boring. What? You get up at whatever time in the morning and you go to sit and pray, and 30 minutes in, I'm like, boy, am I, I feel like I'm eating paste. And, 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 and you do things, I remember, I remember being, can I just, just share a little bit more personal with you guys? I remember being like 19 years old, I would lock myself in my room. I'd pray, or, you know, you pray these different things, and, and then years later I'd find myself doing something, and, you know, and, and, and then the Lord would say, do you remember when you were 19? you remember when you were 20? Remember when you prayed? You prayed this to me when you were 19 and you thought you were dumb or you thought you were talking to the air and you felt like you were just eating paste and it was, you were wasting your time. And the Lord would say, I remember those things. You might have thought you were wasting your time. You might have thought it was foolish or maybe someone else did. It wasn't foolish to me every time you've ever taken it. And I'm telling you this from the Lord. Every time you ever take to pray, every time you take the fast, Every time you take to go deep in God, God remembers and God sees. Amen. Now let's keep going. What is, what is the purpose of, of, of the priesthood? Now I'll probably go about five minutes over that we normally do. Is that okay with you guys? Last church service, church service of the year. My Miami accent's coming out. Exodus chapter 28. Now here's what it means to be a priest. So you're a priest in the priesthood of Jesus. Well that's great. What does that even mean? Here's what it means, Exodus 28, verse 1. Look at what uh, the Lord says. Now take Aaron, who's the high priest, your brother, and his sons with them from among the children of Israel, that he may minister to me as priest. Now that's the first thing. The number one priority of a priest is to minister to the Lord. Just let, make this super basic. You are a priest. Say, I am a priest. I'm a priest. That means that your number one Ministry before you minister to a single person or even preach to a lost person is to minister Amen. to the Lord. Amen. I want you to get that deep inside of me. Essentially, here's where the Lord brought me to. And it's so easy. Well, I mean, I'm working hard for the Lord and we're doing this for the Lord and doing that for the Lord. We're going to get to this even more in a second. We're doing, doing, doing for the Lord. And the Lord pretty much sat me down and said, I'm tired of you doing more for me and not doing to me. To be a priest means your number one, the most important ministry is not to stand on a stage and to sing or to stand on a stage and to preach. It's to sit in a room where no one can see you and minister to him. And it's so much bigger than just getting up and asking God to pay your bills. Come on. Friends, that's not priesthood. That's I need, I need, I need. Priesthood is not saying, God, here's what I need. Priesthood is saying, what do you need? It's turning it around and saying, Lord, what do you want? What are you praying? What are you saying? What do you desire? What are you dreaming for? What is in your heart? How can I partner with you? What do you want this morning? 
The Lord might give you a nation to pray for. He might give you a person. Or he might tell you, spend the next hour and tell me what I mean to you. Amen. I mean, could you imagine getting, we talk about the Lord anointing us, but we get to, with our worship and our, and our priestly ministry, we get to go and anoint the Lord. I want to be the sort of friend that God can trust enough. That he's going to say, you know what, I know, I know you need your bills paid, and I know that your family's whatever. I could really use a friend to minister. Come on. That's the kind of friend that the Lord would interrupt my little prayer list and be like, can you pray my prayer list? I want the Lord to feel that comfortable. Friends, I'm telling you, this is the invitation from the Lord. To get to a place where God feels that comfortable with you, that's right. then he'll start telling you his secrets. Come on. <laughs> when the Lord says, I want to tell you something that no one else knows. I want to whisper things in your ear that I haven't told him. Could you guys you just imagine how many secrets God has? Amen. You might have like 10 and you've been alive for 40 years. Imagine being the ancient of days. And he's like, my secrets have their own secrets. Yeah. Right. And God says, I've got secrets. I've got things that I want to tell you, but I can't trust you enough. Because if I tell you, you're going to go tell everybody. Oh, you're too busy. You don't listen. You're too, you know, I don't want to interrupt your Netflix. But I want to tell you things. I want, I want to go deeper with you, but you don't have time for me. Friends, to be a priest is to say before anything comes in. Amen? Amen. So let's keep going. It's just a minister to me as priest, Aaron and Aaron's sons. Keep going. Nadab, Abihu, and Ithamar, verse 2. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. Now here's what he's saying here. The purpose of the priesthood, the chief function of the priesthood is to minister to the Lord. Now that doesn't just have to happen privately, by the way. I know I'm talking about it. It can happen in a room, in a corporate meeting, where we turn all of our attention and we simply begin to tell him who he is and we begin to confess our love. Listen, God loves that stuff. You ever had anybody just come to you and begin to just pour out love and affection over you? Doesn't it feel good? Mm -hmm. Anybody does that ever feel good? Your spouse does that or someone just, I'm so thankful for you or you're amazing or man, you look. You, the reason that moves you is because you were made in the image and likeness of God. It moves God. It actually moves God when an entire room takes their eyes off themselves, locks it on him and begins to say, this is who you are to us. This is how we think about you. This is how we feel about you. We love you. We love you more than anything. We would rather have you than our bills paid. We would rather have you than a million dollars. We'd rather have the knowledge of God. We'd rather have intimacy. We'd rather have friendship. I'd rather have a million of your secrets than a million dollars in the bank account. Lord, if you give us anything, give us your face. That's what God is longing for. And we don't just say it as rhetoric, but we actually mean it. God's looking for a people that would literally rather have him than any material possession, any position, or any platform. Amen. That's what, you want to know what he's after? That's what he's after. So he, he raises up a people called the priests. And their number one ministry is to him. And the second reason that they're alive, he says, what? For beauty and for glory. God calls us to actually give ourselves to his beauty and glory. You were made, and this might sound crazy to you, might sound so, especially in the go, 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 do, do, do culture, more, your number one 
ministry before preaching the gospel to the lost is to stand in front of God and simply gaze on the beauty and glory of the Lord. The Lord said, no, no, that's more important than preaching. That's more important than having a big ministry. That's more important than your bank account. How much of me do you actually see? Amen. How much of me do you actually know? How deep have you gone in me? Have you ever walked out of a prayer time and been convinced? When was the last time you were convinced? Just out of your own account, not because you read in the book of God was beautiful. Mm. I remember I was sitting on a plane, flying, I think, to England, and the Lord said, go back to Psalm 27. I'm reading Psalm 27, 4, and the Lord whispers to me on the plane, David was the first man to ever notice I was beautiful. Not Moses did, Aaron did, Abraham did. And the Lord provoked me with this question, what did David see that Moses did? What did David see that Aaron did? And the Lord said, what can you see that David did? But there are depths of God, depths of the wisdom, the majesty, the beauty, the glory of God. Depths to who God is, we haven't even scratched the surface on. And he's inviting us to dive all the way in. And he's saying, I'm telling you, this is more important than anything else you'll ever do. More important than anything else is to simply just gaze on the beauty of the Lord and enjoy him forever. Yeah. Just think about that. Maybe that's crazy for some of you. That our number one calling above everything else is to waste our lives just simply studying who the Lord is. <clears throat> to go that deep in the Lord. I mean, imagine that God would invite us to literally give our lives to simply just look at Him and enjoy Him. Amen. To get lost. I want to get lost in God. Does anybody else? Yeah. But friend, there's a problem. We're too busy. Sure. We're too distracted. We have too many commitments. And we were too this and we're too that and we're too this and we're too that. And we're wasting away. And the only thing that matters is the only thing we don't really give attention to. Amen. Let's look at two accounts real quick. Can we do that? Let's go to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. I love this portion of scripture. I don't know another portion of scripture more prophetic about where we are right now than the culture of the church of this That's portion right. of scripture. That's right. I want you to look at this. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now it happened as they went that Jesus entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Now, let me lay this out. Martha is a believer in Jesus. You guys with me? Martha's a believer. Martha loves Jesus. Martha is not an unbeliever. Martha's not a wicked woman. Martha is a good Christian. She loves Jesus. She is like 80% of the church today. Jesus shows up. Oh, Lord, we've been waiting for this. We got the whole house ready. Everything's prepared just the way you like it. Come on in. And Jesus comes in. She's the one, she's the one waiting for him at the door. This is who she is. She's a good woman. The Lord isn't looking for good. Mount mm -hmm. Martha welcomes him into the house. Come on in, Jesus. We really like you here. You're really good for our ministry. You're really good for our blah, 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 blah. And verse 39, and she had a sister called Mary. And friends, I'm telling you, 
God is about to mark us with Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Now I want you to look at the parallel. You have the one, both believers, both love the Lord, they're both committed to him. One is working really hard for the Lord. The other one, this is how she's identified. She also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Now let's keep going. But Martha, verse 40, was distracted with much serving. Now I want you to understand, she wasn't serving Billy. She was, she was serving the Lord. He was who was the guest of honor. Jesus is at her house, and the Lord makes it very known. She was busy, distracted, serving me. Now, just think about that. Maybe for some of us, this is nuts. She's, the only time you read your Bible is to find a message. The only time you do this is for this. The Lord's like, that's not what I'm after. That's not what I want. She's distracted serving him. So look at this. Martha was distracted with much serving. Much serving. She's doing it out of the goodness of her heart. The Lord's there. He's at the house. I mean, Jesus, God in flesh, is in the house. And she's serving the Lord. And she's distracted. And she gets offended. And Mary, I'm telling you, when you decide to go deep in this thing, people are going to be offended with how much time you spend with Jesus. And the reason is, and we'll look at this here more in a second, is because the fact of the matter is, for most of us, we really don't know how much Jesus is worth. You'll get offended with someone's extravagant prayer life if you don't know how extravagant Jesus is. Amen. You'll be offended with how extravagantly somebody fasts if you don't know what Jesus is worth. And the fact of the matter is, I can tell you, because if I opened up your life and saw how much time you spent with the Lord and how much time you spent on television, I can tell you how much you think Jesus is worth. That's right. It's that simple. God bases worth on two things, time and money. If I think the word from David is so from the Lord. Literally, Jesus equates worth mostly in the Gospels to time and money. What you do with your time and what you do with your money is the greatest indication of what you value the most. Amen. Period. Not your lip service. Not being able to say a bunch of things and, and no, 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 that doesn't impress me. People do that all the time. Let me look at how you spend your time, your thought life, what you entertain yourself with, and what you do with your money, and I'll tell you what, 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 what you value the most. Yes, yeah. Come on. So here's Martha. She's busy, distracted, and she's offended. Look at this. She should be out preaching, winning everybody to the Lord. Now I want you to keep in mind, I am not anti-preaching. I go all the time. I preach in front of people all the time, I've traveled to other countries to preach to 15, and I've preached to 3,000. I'm not against it, but I'm telling you, it's not the biggest deal. It's not what it's all about. Come on. And you can actually be so distracted and so caught up, because here's why. Because you can find value in what you can commodify. Cool. Say that again. You find value in what you can commodify. You can't commodify a prayer life. That's right. But you can come out of my well, I led five people to the Lord. Yeah. I led 20 people to the Lord. It's five blind eyes open. You didn't pray this week. Wow. Amen. Amen. You didn't crack open your Bible. You've been fasting in years. And when you do pray, you just want your bills paid. And you know what the Lord says? You're distracted with much serving. I don't want your service. I want your time. Amen. 
Amen. I don't just want your service, I want your affection. And I don't just want it when everybody's listening and your voice is on a microphone. I want it when it's 7 a.m. and you'd rather be sleeping, but you're spending it with me. And we live in this age and we're constantly pressed to do the, the commodifiable. But Jesus doesn't give value to the commodifiable. He gives value when you do it and no one can commodify. No one can come behind you and say that. Come on. Nobody knows. Secret place. So she's distracted with much serving. Now she's serving the Lord. And Martha's offended. She's offended in her life. Martha was distracted. And she says, Lord, don't you care that I'm winning the loss and, and having healing services and doing all these things, whatever. I'm so busy serving you. And here's Mary. She's left me to do everything alone. Tell her to get up and stop being lazy. Dying world out there, Lord. Jesus is answered, verse 41. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha. This is the only person that Jesus calls their name twice. Could you imagine? He's like, oh, Martha. You're so close, but you can't even see it. You're so distracted. He says, Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things. The many things was serving Jesus. I want you to, I want you to really get that. And she wasn't building her career. She was serving him. She was doing everything. And he was saying, you're so worried. And you're so troubled about so many things. And here's what he says. But one thing is actually needed. He says, at the end of the day, only one thing actually really has value. <laughs> Only one thing really is needed above everything, above evangelism. One thing is needed. And then he says, and Mary has chosen the good part, and it won't be taken away from her. Literally, he says, no, no, that's the good part. That's the one thing. That, what she's doing, this is what it's all about. This kingdom of priests, that's, it looks a lot more like Mary than it looks like Martha. Can we look at one more quick account and we'll close? Let's go to Matthew chapter 26. Now, to some scholars, this Mary that we're going to read about, this woman, is most likely the same Mary of Luke chapter 10. This is one of the most profound portions of Scripture, and I really, really want you to get this this morning. I'm having Dana come up because she actually wrote a song from this message that I'm preaching, so we're going to minister that way. Matthew 26. It's one of the most amazing portions of Scripture. Verse 6. And when Jesus was in Bethany, so now he's coming back to the same city. And according to scholars, this is the same woman. So in Luke 10, he's at their house. Now in Matthew 26, he's at the house of a man named Simon the leper. A woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil. She poured it on his head as he sat at the table. But when his disciples saw it, they were indignant. 
saying, why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. Let me give you a little bit of context, historical context. I want you to get this this morning. Jesus has come, and he's with his disciples, Peter, James, John, all these guys have been three years with him. And he shows up to Bethany. He's this right before, this is right at the end of Jesus' life, and they've seen everything. Imagine having seen it all. Every single miracle. Lazarus has been raised from the dead. Jairus' daughter has been raised from the dead. Jesus has fed multitudes twice. He's walked on water. He's calmed the wind. He's done it all. Transfigured on the mountain. Walks into his house and he sits down. And the only person that actually knows what he's doing is a woman named Mary. Now, according to scholars, Mary is the neighborhood prostitute. I want you to get this. She's a prostitute. And what we're told by scholars is that she works for about five years. And what these prostitutes would do is they would work and they would save every single penny. They wouldn't spend a dime of it. And they would do it all. So when finally the time came that the one they were waiting for, when the man that would come to ransom them for prostitution, when their husband, the one they were waiting for would come, they would take everything they had saved up, they would buy a jar of perfume, and they would put it on on their wedding day. I want you to get this. Five years being abused by men, walking the streets as a prostitute, waiting for the moment to come that the one you've been waiting for would come, and you would take every single penny you say. Scholars tell us that this jar of perfume probably cost her $150,000. What I'm talking about a $500 bottle. I'm talking about a twenty. $150,000 jar of perfume. And Jesus shows up. And nobody can notice what she sees. I wonder how many of us been so busy working for the Lord or so busy or whatever, we can't even We've lost sight of what's right in front of us. We've lost sight of the worth and the value of the man that's just walked in the room. See, when people ask us, oh, it's the whole goal of Heart of David in the school is to give young people three months to simply find out what he's worth. Three months, just sit in this room and look at him until you realize he's worth it all. Is that worth 90%? He's not worth a little hour in the morning. He's literally worth everything. And she takes everything, whatever hour she has their money, she pays the money. Every penny, $150,000, five years worth of work. She takes $30,000 a year. She takes it, buys this jar. This isn't today's economy. She buys this jar.
This is the one I've been waiting for. Year after year, day after day, walking street. This is the one. This is the one in whom my soul delights. This is him. And she says, I'll take everything, every single penny, everything I've saved up for five years. I'll buy the best perfume I can find. And, it, and all these years I thought it was for me. It wasn't for me. It was for him. Jesus takes a seat. Everyone else says they're all pompous. I belong here because of this. I belong here. And Mary comes crawling on the floor towards Jesus. Why could you imagine a $150,000 jar? And she breaks it and she begins to perfume and anoint Jesus. And she said, What I thought was for me was really for you. Friends, this little 70 years or 60 years, it wasn't for you. God didn't give you this life for you. He gave it so you could turn around and break it and pour it on you. And she takes the oil and she begins to anoint Jesus. I, my goal isn't to be a great preacher, to have a big ministry, to have a savings account. My goal, I want to be the one that anoints Jesus. That when no one else in the room can notice it, I want to notice it. And the disciples, they get offended. John, the one that's going to write the book of Revelation, Peter, they're offended. They go, what a waste. Could you imagine looking at someone perfuming Jesus and responding with, what a waste of money and time. What a waste to take young people and lock them in a room to pray and worship and sing to the Lord. What a waste of money. What a waste of $3,000. What a waste of what a waste of five years of being a prostitute. What a waste. That's what they said. They said, you know what we could have done with that money? Do you know how much outreach, you know about how much ministry we could have done with the hundred? How much could this church with $150,000? That's what they said. They're offended. Doug, stop it. Stop, don't waste any more of it on him. Do you know how much we can do with that? You know how much money we could, you know how much evangelism, how much outreach, how much blah, blah, blah we could have done with it? Jesus responds with one of the most profound statements of the whole New Testament. Verse 10, but when Jesus was aware of it, I don't know Jesus is so caught up in Mary's worship, he didn't take some a second to realize what's happening. I want the Lord to get caught up in my worship. Amen. And he says, whoa, why do you trouble this woman? She has done a good work for me. Once it's okay if all the ministry, if all the focus, if all the finances or whatever, they're just for me. Says so she's done it for me. Verse 11, for you have the poor with you always, but me you don't always have. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my very son. You need to understand, the perfume that Mary is putting on Jesus is so poignant, is so strong, that three days later, while Jesus is being whipped, every whip, every time they, 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 would, they would strike his body, it would release the fragrance of Mary's perfume. Do you hear what I'm saying? And for 39 
times they whipped Jesus in the praetorium. 39 times. Every time they whipped him. You know what the disciples are reminded of? Mary's worship. That's the fragrance that's filling Golgotha while Jesus has been crucified. Every breath he takes while he's dying on the cross, he's breathing in a reminder of Mary's worship. Friends, what are you living for? What are you giving your time to? What are you giving your money to? What are you giving your energy to? Throw your television away. Out of everybody in the Bible, every moment he preaches the worship of a prostitute that comes back to his world. that'll say, Lord, I am my beloved and he is mine. 